We knew the pandemic would require significant ramping up of contact tracing, both capacity, funding, and that there was a gap in information on state approaches. So our goal was to provide a user-friendly lay of the land analysis of state approaches to contact tracing so that states could identify options and consider strategies. I'm J.B. Wogan from Mathematica, and welcome back to On the Evidence, a show that examines what we know about today's most urgent challenges and how we can make progress in addressing them. On this episode, we return to a topic of critical importance for managing the COVID-19 pandemic, contact tracing. Regular listeners of this podcast will remember a previous episode in which we discussed the importance of equitable and culturally sensitive practices in administering an effective contact tracing program. But in case you did not catch that episode, contact tracing is a strategy used by public health officials to contain the spread of infectious diseases by identifying and isolating people exposed to an infection. It's been a staple of infectious disease control at least since the 1920s and has been used for other diseases such as AIDS and syphilis. COVID-19 presents novel challenges for disease control, one of which is that people can be infected without having symptoms, making them more likely to unknowingly expose and infect others. That's part of the reason the disease spreads so easily and is present in so many parts of the U.S., There is no national COVID-19 contact tracing program. Instead, state, tribal, and local health departments have been developing their own approaches. On this episode, you'll hear from staff at the National Academy for State Health Policy and Mathematica who recognized that state and local health officials needed a single place to find accurate, up-to-date, publicly available information about the decisions that their peers in other states were making in response to the pandemic. To meet that need, they created a free online interactive map and table, which is the most comprehensive resource for documenting the variation in state approaches to contact tracing for COVID-19. Mathematica also hosts a supplementary webpage that provides contextual information about each state's population based on data from the U.S. Census Bureau, which can inform contact tracing strategies. My guests for this episode are Jill Rosenthal and Eleanor Higgins from the National Academy for State Health Policy, and Holly Matulowicz and Shule Gerovich from Mathematica. I spoke with them in early November, and I started the conversation by asking about the origin story behind the state contact tracing resources they've created. What needs were they trying to address, and how did they begin their collaboration? We were receiving a lot of data from multiple sources, and especially the state health policymakers were trying to figure out what was going on in their states and and how they can reach to a reliable source of information. That's Shule. She oversees state health policy work at Mathematica. So at Mathematica, we started to pull together the resources as well as some information about how you can measure COVID when you look at the claims data, what kind of analysis you could do, things like that. As we were building this, contact tracing became as an important tool for managing pandemic. And immediately, Holly and I started thinking about what information will be helpful for the state policymakers and how we can present this national overview of what's going on in the states real time. 
And from there, Holly and I discovered Nashby because they were thinking the same way. And uh, we contacted them to see if we can collaborate with them since at the end of the day, for the public good, we're all collaborating and providing the resources for the people who are on the ground time to pull that resources themselves. At the time, Shule and Holly were talking with state officials in a number of states who were preparing to launch contact tracing efforts and wanted to do it in a robust, systematic way. Since the pandemic arrived in some places before others, states could learn from jurisdictions like King County, Washington and New York City, which had had early outbreaks. And so conversations were taking place between states and localities but no one was documenting the hard-earned wisdom in a centralized location that could inform contact tracing across the country. And we thought, wait a minute, there's, there's a need here. There's a gap that we can fill. That's Holly. She's a senior survey researcher who leads Mathematica's efforts to support the state contact tracing data visualizations. And so what we could do is compile all of this knowledge from publicly available sources in a single place so that, you know, each state or local entity that was looking at doing contact tracing could learn from a robust repository of different people, uh, if you will, and, and their approach to the work, because they all have to determine how are we going to do staffing? What will that look like? How many people do we need? What kind of background should they have? What do our protocols look like? What are we going to ask people? What kind of technology supports are we going to need? What are the unique needs of our population in our state or local area? So again, the idea was to just put this all, all these decisions that people had been making um, in a single place so that at least they had a starting point from then to you know, follow up on further conversations. So a state that looks like mine, I would look at other states to see you know, their approach and what I could learn from them, and then maybe follow that up with a phone call from there. But taking that initial legwork you know, really off their plates in a time when you know, time was of the essence. As Shule and Holly were gathering information on state contact tracing for some kind of publicly available resource, Jill and Eleanor at the National Academy for State Health Policy, sometimes called by its acronym NASHP, were doing what staff at the Academy always do, which is scan the health policy landscape to identify when state officials can learn from one another in developing innovative solutions to challenging health policy issues. Jill is a senior program director who leads the group's work on population health, and Eleanor is a research analyst who works with Jill on population health. Here's Jill. So when we started this in May, contact tracing just felt like a natural area to explore and a crucial state tool for curbing COVID-19. So we knew the pandemic would require significant ramping up of contact tracing, both capacity, funding, and that there was a gap in information on state approaches. So our goal was to provide a user-friendly lay of the land analysis of state approaches to contact tracing so that states could identify options and consider strategies. Given that the pandemic is all over the country, I asked the group why there is so much variation and why we don't see a uniform contact tracing strategy at the national level. At the end of the day, the management of the COVID-19 is local, right? Things are happening at the local level. That's Shule from Mathematica again. And you really need to know, know the local context. And with the contact tracing and case investigation, it has to be grounded in the local resources. And it does have that relationship between local at the county and, and public health official level, state, 
as the secondary and the federal. Um, the strategies have to be aligned, but it doesn't necessarily need to be managed at the federal level. We think that at the end, given that how local these outbreaks are and the resources, um, it would require some local um, infrastructure. I, I think the other thing that we are seeing in terms of variation is everybody is starting from different places and contact tracing is not new for the local authorities, public health departments. So everybody started from somewhere. What was challenging was the speed and the scale, right? And, and how you can go from one to 10 in a matter of week was the challenge. And there, I think states took different approaches depending on whether they are at one or they are at five or how, many how much resources they had to get to the, that level of 10 when they can manage you know, thousand cases a day for contact tracing. Even though it makes sense for contact tracing to be driven by state and local officials who are in the best position to take into account the local conditions and resources, there was clearly still demand for some kind of national repository of information about how states, counties, cities, and towns were conducting contact tracing. Here's Nashby's Jill Rosenthal again. It's been one of Nashby's most viewed resources in the last few months. And we've gotten inquiries from states, from reporters, from vendors, um, technology vendors, from even the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has looked to this site to look for information and learn about state approaches and get a sense of the national landscape. So it's been quite popular and, um, you know, continues to to change and evolve. And because of that, it continues to be something that is um, quite popular with a lot of different audiences. It's worth pointing out, if you do an internet search for contact tracing in the U.S., you'll likely find other efforts to gather information about the state of, well, state contact tracing. But nothing is quite as comprehensive as the data being collected and presented on Nashby's site with Mathematica's support in terms of the range of things being tracked and updated over time. Now, it's pretty hard to show data visualizations on a podcast, but I did record Eleanor Higgins from Nashby as she walked me through the state contact tracing page on Nashby's site. If you go to the Nashby page on state approaches to contact tracing for COVID-19, you'll see a color-coded map with every state displayed in either orange, yellow, or green. The colors represent three major categories or models for state contact tracing. Here's Eleanor. Uh, so orange indicates an in-house model with public officials leading the contact tracing work or hiring additional employees if needed uh, and recruiting volunteers. Yellow is states that have formal contracts with a private company, a non-governmental organization, or a nonprofit. Uh, to do contact tracing work or hiring for that work. And green indicates that the state is partnering with an outside organization. And in those instances, the state is leading the work, but relying on these sort of less formal partnerships with other organizations for training or staffing. There's also a tab to the left of the color-coded map with the label model. And if you click it, you can find more information about outside organizations that are either doing contact tracing for the state or partnering in some way. Washington State, for example, is listed as partnering. And in that case, Mathematica is one of three organizations providing staffing and other support 
for the state's contact tracing work. As a counterexample, in Maine, contact tracing is being led and implemented in-house by the state's own Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The contact tracing model that a state uses is one of only a handful of topics related to state contact tracing that you can explore on the NASHB page. There's another one for whether states are taking a centralized or decentralized approach. Here's Eleanor again. And in a centralized approach, the state is leading the contact tracing efforts. Uh, and in a decentralized approach, the local health departments or local entities might be leading that work. And a lot of states are using kind of a combined approach there um, with state and local entities contributing staff and leadership to the contact tracing work. There's also a tab for the process and protocols a state uses for contact tracing, Eleanor explained. So the info in this tab, it looks at strategies for initial outreach, uh, which individuals are being tracked, what the definition of the state is for, an, for a contact, like how are they defining that, and what resources are provided to improve contact tracers' work quality as they, as they do this. Many states, including Colorado, Arizona, and Delaware, start with a manual phone call to people who have tested positive as well as their contacts. But other states, such as Connecticut and Indiana, use email and text messages for initial outreach, following up by phone in the event that people don't reply to the electronic messages. States also vary in terms of how much information they collect and what else they do to support the individuals they reach. In Iowa, for example, contact tracers offer to set up support services such as grocery deliveries. Another tab on the page focuses on workforce and training. That looks at how states are managing their contact tracing workforce and what training the tracers are receiving. So states have mostly ramped up their workforce through partnerships, direct hiring, or recruiting volunteers. And a lot of those people are new to this work. So the, the training piece is a really important element of that. This is an area where states are using a variety of approaches, often in combination, to increase their contact tracing capacity. In California, more than 90 state-level departments reassigned 5% of staff to do contact tracing. Delaware is one of several examples of states contracting with an outside firm to hire and train contact tracers. Iowa has been training National Guard members to do some contact tracing. The Nashby page also captures the full range of technological tools being deployed in support of contact tracing. There's lots of mobile applications, uh, mobile phone applications that are being used, social media campaigns or like online symptom trackers, all kinds of, of technology um, is, is being utilized. In the Commonwealth of Virginia, for example, where I live, we have COVIDWISE, a voluntary smartphone app which notifies residents about exposures nearby gives app users the ability to anonymously share a COVID-19 test result, and allows users to communicate virtually with the Virginia Department of Health about exposure notifications or positive test results. Everything we've just mentioned, from contracting with outside firms, to hiring new contact tracers, to developing and deploying web tools, all of it costs money. The Nashby page shows how each state is funding its contact tracing efforts, who they're paying, and for what purpose. For example, many states are using federal emergency aid from the CARES Act to support contact tracing. 
Some are using general fund dollars or money from a rainy day fund. And a few states, such as California, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey, have benefited from philanthropic investments to hire, train, and deploy contact tracers. In addition to the map and table on Ashby's site, Mathematica has a related webpage using data from the U.S. Census Bureau that provides information about each state's population that would be relevant to contact tracing efforts. Here's Holly again from Mathematica. So recognizing that, you know, when we approach data collection, we do it within context. Who is our population? What are the challenges that they might be facing, et cetera? We felt it would be really helpful to infuse in this the context, the, the census data for each of these states, you know, large states, small states, densely populated states, less densely populated states. All of these pieces have implications for the approach to your contact tracing. And so we put together this companion website that would really help give people a sense of the context. For any given state, you can get a sense of how the demographics break down. For example, the tool shows that about 20% of Florida's population is older than 65. In Texas, it's a little more than 12% who are older than 65. Besides age, you can also see some information about the sex, race, ethnicity, income, and poverty level of the state's population. And that's really important as you think about strategies for contact tracing, because people experiencing poverty may have very different experiences with COVID in terms of risk and also you know, the, the approaches that you may need to take with the data collection. For example, if you're doing only telephone follow-up, what will that mean for people that are experiencing poverty and may not have access to reliable phone service? Who might you miss? So just using this data to just set the, the approach to contact tracing in context, recognizing your risks, recognizing areas where you may need to just be very thoughtful in your approach to the data collection. You can also see what percentage of the state's population lives in urban versus rural areas. In Connecticut, for example, almost 88% of people live in dense urban areas, but in Mississippi, less than 51% do. Although the data visualizations are not, strictly speaking, formal research projects, they do show patterns and trends in state contact tracing. And because the websites are updated over time, they tell a story about how state approaches are evolving. So we've seen shifts in state models in technology-related supports, and community engagement. That's Jill Rosenthal from Nashby again, talking specifically about the map and table on Nashby's site. So, for instance, over time, states have shifted from more in-house models to more partnering and contracting models. We've also seen new partnerships forming, especially with colleges and universities. And we've seen states that are launching or piloting new apps. Um, we're seeing more apps to provide users with exposure notification and using Bluetooth technology. We've also seen states engaging with, and in some cases, funding community groups to reach historically underserved populations and to do things such as improving cultural competency with their contact tracing. So those are some of the trends that we've seen over time. Unfortunately, at the time of this recording in December 2020, COVID-19 infections are rising nationally at an alarming rate. Shule said the need for identifying and implementing the most effective state containment strategies is only becoming more acute. 
uh, how many contacts they can reach, what is that return rate, how they can manage the epidemic and the use of technology. As Jill mentioned, now we are seeing more mobile applications and other tools in our toolbox. So it will be great to look at it again from the national perspective and start understanding which tools are more effective than the others or which combinations work better compared to the traditional methods. To understand which approaches are most effective, Holly said it would be helpful if states and localities share information publicly about the performance of their contact tracing strategies across a range of metrics. There's just such uh, such benefit, such collective potential benefit in being transparent with each other about our outcomes that can help inform redesign or future design or refinements to design. Things like, you know, call outcomes, uh, the percent of cases that agree to provide contacts and provide contacts contact information, you know, the percent of cases with viable phone numbers. It all helps inform the planning and the budgeting for the work ahead. And so, you know, as states can be more transparent in their outcomes with these different efforts, it can help us all collectively refine and plan and budget for the work ahead. NPR has done a brief piece on this um, with some states highlighting some of their work, but there's just a need for so much more. There's so much more we could share. So I think that as states look at this, if they can consider you know, sharing their outcomes, I think it could help a lot of people with future planning. Jill said Nashby's page on state approaches to contact tracing would be updated in December. And after December? We're going to keep updating it as long as we continue to see trends um, and states modifying their approaches. So we will continue to do this in 2021 as long as it provides useful information on um, state approaches. Thanks again to my guests, Eleanor Higgins, Jill Rosenthal, Shule Garovich, and Holly Matulowicz. In the text summary of this episode, I'll link to the data visualizations we discussed. This conversation was originally recorded as a video chat with the guests showing the online maps and tables as they were describing them. Rich Clement, our senior multimedia producer at Mathematica, worked his magic and has pulled together a lightly edited video from that recording. And I'll include a link to that as well, or you can find it on Mathematica's YouTube page. And thank you for listening to another episode of On the Evidence, the Mathematica podcast. If you're enjoying the show, I have a favor to ask please share it with a friend who you think might like our podcast too. As we cover research related to some of the most pressing public policy issues of the day, we want to make sure we're reaching everyone who values evidence as much as we do. Of course, the other standard requests still stand. Subscribe if you haven't already. And if you have the time, we welcome ratings and reviews. As always, you can keep up with interesting work from Mathematica by following us on Twitter. I'm at JB Wogan. Mathematica is at Mathematica Now.